Well, hi, I'm Steve Dennis. I'm a consultant, author, and speaker on retail strategy and innovation. I've been in the retail industry a really long time. I don't really like to talk about it. And I'm also the author of Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. Thank you, Steve, for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having me. So the book, Remarkable Retail, it's coming out at a, uh, uh, it's very timely, uh, obviously, uh, not, not only over the past number of years uh, have we had a growth in e-commerce, uh, but the, uh, this pandemic has uh, really changed uh, people's uh, buying habits. And, and I know one of them uh, has been, I know many people have taken advantage of, you know, calling up or uh, going online and ordering, you know, groceries or, or whatever the case may be, and then, you know, picking them up curbside, right? There's this curbside pickup phenomenon that we, we've been see, seeing this year. And you mentioned, you obviously mentioned that in your book, but you also mentioned in your book about the customer uh, is, is the channel, and you do reference, you know, consumers picking up groceries mm -hmm. or shopping curbside. And so right. I'm wondering if you could explain more about this customer as the channel thing. Yeah, well, one of the one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of retailers have made over the years, not not just during the pandemic, is thinking of e-commerce and brick and mortar as largely distinct uh, operations. And I think what the pandemic has done is number one, really reinforced the idea and accelerated the stats around how consumers start most shopping journeys in a digital channel, even though the vast majority of those digital shopping journeys end up um, involving a store in some way. But in particular, what happened with um, the pandemic is yes, we saw more kind of traditional e-commerce growth, but we saw a lot more of this behavior where stores are involved in what people call e-commerce. So that's the curbside pickup, that's buy online or return to store. It's um, online orders that are fulfilled by stores. So if anything, it's actually kind of ironically turned out that stores are going to be even more important for a lot of, lot of retailers, even though we've, we've obviously seen a growing um, shift to e-commerce, but you know, that shift to e-commerce has been going on for 15 years like that, that in and yeah. of itself is not new. Yeah. So the idea of the customers, the channel is not to think about um, e-commerce versus brick and mortar. It's to say, well, our, you know, is to focus on the customer and our job is to figure out how to reduce the friction between shopping across those channels, but more particularly really elevate that experience and in, in a way that is truly remarkable, you know, which is really the thrust and um, underlying principle in my book. And previous, you know, previous to uh, this, this pandemic, the, the discussion around e-commerce has always been, uh, you know, e-commerce will grow at the detriment of bricks and mortar. Uh, but I, I think we've seen that, you know, one sort of needs the other. Uh, you know, yeah. e-commerce for grocery stores, at least here in, in Canada and Toronto, needs the grocery stores in the neighborhoods to fulfill that. Yeah, and, I call, right. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was, so I was wondering whether or not this, you had always thought in this way, and, and whether this will continue even post-pandemic. So I think a couple of things are going on there that's important. One is there's there's an aspect of online, which, you know, e-commerce and sort of, I hate to say traditional e-commerce because mm. that sounds a little bit funny, but, but if you think about e-commerce, 
at least in its early days, it was sort of a better catalog, mail order catalog business. You know, it basically used technology yeah. to automate ordering, but the basic fulfillment was very similar to what catalog companies have been doing forever, which is to pick, pack, and ship a product in a central distribution location and mail it to you. I think that that was e-commerce. That has been the bulk of Amazon's business, for for example, um, other than digital downloading. Um, so so. E-commerce, that sort of e-commerce is really great for certain kinds of products, um, largely around where, you know, it's just convenient, you know, to order it online and have it show up at your home or office. So, you know, that and that part of e-commerce for the most part doesn't really involve a store. You know, you may go to a store to to check out the product and order online. Um, but but a lot of e-commerce, and particularly what's what's happened in the last several years and really accelerated by the pandemic, has involvement from the store because the customer is either going there to talk to a sales associate or get ideas or put an outfit together or whatever, or, or and or I guess, the store has a role in fulfilling that order. So it's been going on. Uh, and I think just generally people have been a little bit too black and white about talking mm-hmm. about e-commerce. And, um, you know, the, the main thing is, it's really blended altogether. The kind of pure e-commerce, uh, you know, for the most part, doesn't really exist. Even some of these newer brands that started online, they're all opening stores because they realize that there's a big aspect of, of commerce that is a merger or a hybrid of physical and digital. I know eMarketer recently was talking in one of their episodes about the future of shopping malls. And yeah. so, you know, you know, when you think of it just in a, a, a black and white um, framework, you know, you, you think, okay, shopping malls are going to end, you know, no need to go into store and walk around and stuff. But I'm curious whether there's a reinvention of shopping malls when we keep this in mind. Well, I hope so. I think, you know, again, you know, there's a little bit of the devil in the details. I mean, sure. shopping malls have been losing, I mean, well, one in the U.S. in particular, but I know in Canada and some other markets, there was a real boom in building shopping markets and shopping shopping malls and shopping centers, you know, for the past 20 years. And so one of the things that happened in general was that the capacity that was developed in in malls and shopping centers was much greater than the demand overall. So mm-hmm. there was going to be a reckoning at some point and the pandemic is really is really forcing that. But the other thing is that a lot of the shopping malls, not all, but a lot of the shopping malls really were highly dependent on apparel and were highly dependent upon department store anchors, most of which have really been struggling for many, many years. And in fact, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, E-commerce really is what has caused these department stores and malls to get in trouble. And actually, if you look until, particularly until recent years, most of the market share that was lost by department stores actually went to off-price retailers and discount mass merchants and fast fashion companies and other specialty retailers. It wasn't so much that it was captured by e-commerce. Plus, you know, all of those stores could have e-commerce themselves. Like e-commerce didn't have to be the reason that some of these stores or some of these malls got into trouble. But um, but but it is absolutely the case that a lot of these malls were overly reliant on concepts that really didn't innovate enough and consumer preferences just switched to many more off the mall uh, formats and then more so in e-commerce. But I think what you generally see is that the very best malls, particularly the ones that are more, um, have a stronger, 
tenant mixes and maybe a good mix of, of restaurants and entertainment, I think most of those will do pretty well without a tremendous amount of change. But the malls that didn't reinvent themselves and have just a ton of space devoted to retailers that are really dinosaurs in this era, I mean, most of those are either going to get bulldozed or really need to reinvent themselves. So, so we'll see. I mean, it's hard to attract capital, I think, to invest in some of these more mediocre malls. The malls that have um, a good customer base, a good tenant mix, I think, you know, they, they need some reimagination. But um, I suspect that the top, you know, 20% of malls will, will do pretty well um, once we get beyond the pandemic. That's really interesting. And I, I'm curious about this one. You know, so, you know, small independent companies, they, they may or may not have a retail location. Maybe they are, uh, you know, working with uh, your traditional grocery stores to get their product on the shelves. But they've started to open up their own e-commerce capabilities, right? So, yes, they might have some product on Amazon, but they've got their own, you know, Shopify store. Yeah. Um, it, it, I'm wondering if there's, uh, an opportunity in e-commerce outside of uh, Amazon, outside of being reliant on shelving fees uh, that these companies have with with their own store, can they compete even with you know free shipping and and, and things of the, like that that Amazon provides? Well, it's certainly it's certainly tough for the smaller guys to compete with the big guys. And and what I generally say is that you need to really make the different or understand the difference between what I call and talk about a little bit in the book is table stakes and differentiators. And by that, I mean, mm. you know, there are some things that you just have to do to be in the game. So it's pretty hard to imagine how a retailer of any size can have at least basic uh, e-commerce capabilities. And so thankfully, you know, there are, there is Shopify and there is big commerce and there are, you know, are ways to get those, those basic functions. Mm -hmm. Um but you have to be really careful not to chase your tail and, uh, and, and engage in a race to the bottom, essentially, trying to out Amazon, Amazon. So yeah. generally, I think, you know, figure out those basic features that, that keep you in the game. Uh, but then it's going to be more about leaning into those things that can really make you different. So how can you focus maybe more deeply on a particular set of customers or offer unique and different products or offer service? You know, what, what's that thing that can be different enough that, that a set of customers care about um, that Amazon really, for the most part, or, you know, it could be Walmart, it could be, you know, a whole host of other big retailers. Um, what are those things that customers will value that you can uniquely deliver on? Because if you start in a race to the bottom uh, or start in a race with Amazon, I mean, you're, you're basically going to get to this race to the bottom and Amazon's always going to have lower prices and, you know, be able to kind of out supply chain you. <laughs> so yeah, so pick, pick your battles, pick the, you know, pick, pick those basic things that keep you in the game, but pick those places where you can really win over the long term. And I'm wondering if this, this delves into to this next question in, in your, in the second part of your book, you outline and you go into detail about the, the what you call the eight essentials, right? And, and so I'm wondering, Steve, if you could you know quickly you know go through these eight essentials, and if, and I'm wondering if there is one um, that might be you know the most underrated one, one that's most overlooked, I would say, by brands or companies. 
Sure. So I'll just quickly mention what they are. So the first six I do talk about as being table stakes. In other words, you know, if you're not pretty good at them, you're probably at a disadvantage. So number one is digitally enabled. Uh, so this is the idea of really using digital technology to enhance the customer experience. Um, number two is human centered, which is just a little bit different spin on thinking about um, customers, I guess, in a broader, broader way. Um, three is harmonized, which is some of what we were talking about earlier, which is really understanding how to blend digital and physical in interesting um, ways. Uh, fourth is, I'm probably going to screw them, <laughs> screw them up in the order, but uh, fourth, fourth is mobile. Um, this really is a recognition of that mobile is, um, you know, when we talk about digitally enabled shopping journeys, more and more that is because customers are shopping wherever they happen to be on sort of uh, some smart device. Uh, fifth is personal, which is the idea of treating different customers differently and personalizing the experience. Six is connected, which is really leaning into just how we're more connected to people, whether that's through social media or getting reviews and other things. And then the two differentiators I talk about are memorable, which is how do you create an experience that is really so much better than what the competition can do that literally customers will talk about, which is the key idea of remarkable. And then eighth is radical, which is mostly about uh, needing to constantly innovate and build a, a culture of experimentation. Um, as to your question about which one is the least appreciated, I think it's probably personal. Um, I think particularly for per, for um, smaller retailers, well, I guess really retailers of all size, you know, the really big guys sometimes tend to lean on a one size fits all approach. And that often doesn't meet customers in a more as an intense customer intense and relevant way as they should like, as they would like to. Um, I think for smaller retailers, the opportunity is if they've got that local knowledge, they have some unique products, they have the ability to, to do a more personal experience, they can really leverage that. But I think there just oftentimes tends to be this tendency to do the, the easier or more efficient thing, which is to tend to treat customers a little bit like they're all the same. And, you know, that's where you can really get, get into trouble as a big guy by allowing, you know, interesting segments for competitors to go after. Um, as a smaller guy, it's sometimes just chasing your tail, trying to out Amazon, Amazon or out Walmart, mm -hmm. Walmart. Steve, thanks so much for this conversation. I really uh, enjoyed and appreciated it. Um, where, if people want to uh, get a hold of your book to uh, read more about uh, uh, your, your thoughts as it pertains to retail, where, where can they go? Well, I'm uh, all over social media, generally at, at Stephen P. Dennis. Um, my website is www.stephenpdennis.com. And my book is available at Amazon and just about anywhere else books are sold. So you should be able to find it anywhere. Again, thank you so much, Steve. You bet. It was great talking to you. Power your advertising. Working with Active International enables you to fund your advertising using your company's own products, assets, or even services. We have over 30 years experience connecting and bringing value to businesses all over the globe, helping many brands scale up into household names. Want to achieve more from your marketing spend? Contact Active International today.